So, so thank you very much. We have uh, quite a bit of time for questions. So we'll right. get there. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Because you said the first. But a question. Question. Huh? Please ask a question. Okay. You okay. said the, the Israeli one went invasion Lebanon in 1982. This gave the child the candy. I was present there. Who killed the 5,000 children in Beirut and Sabra and Shatila and Qana? I ask my question. So it's an excellent question. The Israeli the army, Israeli and Angel, right. I believe that what you say. So, and Hezbollah was a staff in 1979. But where, who killed Mahagana and uh, Deir Yassin? So whenever your question is, is you finished, sorry, it's, it's finished. My question, my question is finished. No, it's a very fair question. I'm not. Anyway, please, please. Let me answer. Okay, answer. Perfectly legitimate question. Um, there are two sides to every conflict, and if, if if you if you want to try and find instances where Israelis have said nasty things about other people. You're going to have to find somebody else to defend that than me. I'd submit that, that that's not quite as common, it's not quite as ingrained as it is within Hezbollah. But okay. The bottom line is... This was no Hezbollah, 19... Excuse me, you asked your question? Mm. Let the professor respond. Okay, thank you. So, according to Naim Qasim, who's the Deputy Secretary General of Hezbollah, he says we, he says us, he describes in his book, Right, inside Hezbollah by Nan Qasim, by Soccer Press, which you can get in Arabic or in English. He explains the early years of Hezbollah, and he explains Hezbollah beginning to develop already in 1982. They didn't use the word Hezbollah, no question, but this was already happening. And you can read in my book where I get into that. I'm and not I defense of Hezbollah. I'm not a Hezbollah. I say it about Israel and the, the people. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. And I'm Israel, not Hezbollah. Right, right, right. I didn't say you're Hezbollah. I have 100,000 proof and about the massacre, so, my kid, in Lebanon and Palestine so, and Egypt and everywhere. So I'll tell you what, I'm going I'm to give you one more chance to let me answer, hmm. but then if okay, you answer again, I, I won't. I just because we have to have respect for each other. Okay. So, and there have been battles, there have been all kinds of things. Some of these are war, some of these are other things. So the Israeli government, because it's a democratic government, has issued public reports, commissions, which you can read, taking issue with the defense minister at the time, who was Sharon, over Sabra and Satila. It was not Israelis who went into Shabra, to Sabra and Satila. It was not. But, it, but it, it, was, it was Maronites. But the Israelis were there, and even though it wasn't Israelis who went in, the Israeli government said that's unacceptable. I actually applaud them for that. But the issue here is not the history of who invaded when, or who attacked when. That's another lecture. Which the action and the action. I warned you. I warned you. <laughs> the issue here is, um, within Hezbollah, what is the nature of how Hezbollah prescribes the other? The nature of Hezbollah's anti-Semitism, separate and apart from its militancy. And if that was only, only anti-Israel, I wouldn't accept it. But if it was only anti-Israel, you would have something to say. But it's not. And it's not limited to Israelis. It's not limited to Zionists. It goes worldwide to Jews, and that's not okay I accept if you. it's I'm about you. Then we're in a great agreement, so what? what's the next question? Okay. The gentleman in the back. I'm a Lebanese Canadian, and I served in the Lebanese army in 76, in South Lebanon, in the regular Lebanese army. 
there are certain, I do agree with you on most of the issues about some of the Arabs being anti-Jewish. And it shouldn't be because we are Semitic cousins. However, the Israelis invaded not in 79, in 1978. And Hezbollah became a split from the Amal, the Islamic resistance movement. So the Iranian revolution, which came in 1979, was post-Hezbollah. Hezbollah came from Islamic Amman, and then it, it developed. In, so I get into this in the book. Yeah. The, 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 the Israeli invasion that really sparked things was not the 70s. It was 1982. There were multiple invasions. No, in 1978, they invaded under President Jimmy Carter. Right. I, I'm not disagreeing with you about that. I'm saying there were multiple cases where the Israelis went in. The one that really kicked off things for Hezbollah including the split with Amal, according to Naim Qasim and others, was 1982. Okay, the second thing is, why are the Israelis negotiating with Hezbollah when it comes to, to the exchange of hostages left, right, and center? Look, uh, the Israelis don't sit down with Hezbollah directly, but there are two ways that they do. The hostages is indirect, usually through the Germans. Yes. Um, and well, any time... Muslims, by the way, are married to German ladies in South Sudan. And, and sometimes when people would take issue with the Germans for maintaining open contacts with Hezbollah, the Israelis would say, no, no, don't give them a hard time because we want the Germans to be able to serve as intermediary. The one that's closer is the, uh, uh, through UNIFIL today, through the UN, there is a mechanism. They don't actually sit at the table, but sometimes actually they do. They don't talk directly to each other, but sometimes within the same facility. And, Tangibly, uh, for kind of uh, tactical, realistic, day-to-day -day things, there are things that they will negotiate. And from an Israeli perspective, and I'm not Israeli, so I can't really speak for them, but my sense is they're very, very sensitive to loss of life and to this kind of uh, idea of, of, of never leaving, a, leaving no one behind. And so getting back not only uh, hostages, but even the bodies of those who were killed. And so for that, they'll make they'll make trades and to do that you need to have some type of a back channel and that's that's I, that's I think just the Israelis trying to be pragmatic the Israelis don't say this means we like Hezbollah I and mean, Hezbollah doesn't say this means we like the Israelis but they're willing to do these things because there's a common interest that can be facilitated through international mediation thank you just two questions I'm going to charge you double we didn't talk enough about uh, Iran's role in really creating Hezbollah, because from what I understand, Iran was behind the foundation and the basic establishment of, of Hezbollah as a, a kind of an outpost, proxy organization. There was not too much emphasis on this. And the other thing I want to ask you also, about, you mentioned the Buenos Aires attacks, which were 92-94 correspondingly. Uh, which Hezbollah has definitely a footprint there. And, so, uh, and just, just in terms of the comments we heard here, I happen to be an ex-Israeli, and I can tell you that whatever you talked about here, and I was in the army as well, you never hear this language. We never use this language, we never have the hatred that you hear from the other side towards the Arabs and towards Hezbollah. That's a very important point. You know, there's never incitement against our enemies, and there's always a yearning for peace, and, and you know as much as possible to conduct ethical wars. So that's very important in, in response to I, what we heard here. I, I got the question, but we'll ask everybody to just keep questions. Yeah. Look, um, I uh, every society has people who are going to say nasty things, but I think the point is true that for Hezbollah, this 
and, and not, not for Lebanon, not for Lebanese, not for Lebanese, but this is not a Lebanese issue at all. For Hezbollah, this is ingrained part of who they are. Um, now, you'll find individual Israelis who have nasty things to say, and I've seen anti-Arab graffiti in different places, but this is, this is not institutional, and that's an important point. I did mention the background with Iran at the beginning. That's a completely different lecture. One that I don't give this one very often. That's usually the one I give. And I get into this in very, very great detail in the book. And it's true, Iran played a very, very significant role. And, and if, it were only, if it were only for the Israeli invasions of southern Lebanon, I don't think Hezbollah would have been uh, created the way we know it. In a variety of Shia militias at the time, they were not playing nicely together. Musa Sadr had disappeared. The Shia, they were not coordinated. The Quds Force, 1,500 Quds Force officers were sent into the Bekaa Valley. And the main thing that they did was to coalesce these groups together. And they brought key people. Amal had already begun to split. You already had Islamic Amal. Musawi had already split to his own thing. And he was already, Musawi himself, shifting even more towards Hezbollah. By the time that Musawi was told that by Iran, that Iran wanted something done against the U.S. Marines, Musawi was still technically the head of Islamic Kamal, but he was already becoming Hezbollah. And we know this for a fact, you can read it in the book, declassified, that U U.S. intercepts, we intercepted a telephone call between Iranian intelligence, MOIS, Ministry of Intelligence and Security in Tehran, and the Iranian ambassador to Damascus, who was told to reach out to Musawi and to get him to get somebody, and he reached out to Mugnia, to carry out, quote, a spectacular action targeting the U.S. Marines. The significance here is really important because Hezbollah had already do started doing things. Hezbollah had issues with other elements of the confessional societies at the time. There was a lot of conflict between the confessional societies at the time. They obviously had issues with the Israelis. They had blown up a Shin Bet institution, a building in, in Tyre. But when Hezbollah first started targeting Western interests, not just other Lebanese, not just the Israelis, but Western interests, and they first started doing that in Lebanon, U.S. Embassy, U.S. Marines and French military barracks, U.S. Embassy again, kidnappings, CIA station chief, not only kidnapped, but brutally, brutally murdered. Hezbollah sent three different videos of him being tortured to CIA. Horrific stuff. This started and then went to Kuwait, Mustafa Badruddin, eventually, I'll answer in a minute about 92 and 94, Argentina. It started not because it was a Lebanese calculation, not because it was even Hezbollah's own calculation, but because Iran told them to do it. Now, again, I didn't get into 92 or 94 because it's a different lecture, though I could have mentioned Amia and there it is. I could have mentioned the Ami on the cover of the book when I mentioned the same breadth of TWA-847 and the Cyprus. If you want to talk about operational consequences. 1992, classic terrorism, but maybe they would say it was an Israeli embassy. Still civilians, but Israeli embassy. Amia is a Jewish community center. Now, after the fact, some Hezbollah guys tried to say that they had intelligence that it was being used by the Mossad, which is complete ridiculousness. It was a community center, like a Jewish community center, I'm sure you have here in Montreal or what have you, uh, targeting, you know, where kindergarten and 
really you would write down so it's uh it's a there's an entire chapter no we're only doing questions so there's an entire chapter on that and it gets in great detail by the way this was 50 percent iran 50 percent hezbollah both of those in in argentina so can I, I can ask a quick question and i am asking a question actually i spoke at the ml at the jewish community center in argentina in buenos aires less than two months ago in the rebuilt uh, Jewish Community Center. And I, was, I spoke about Iran in the center. Uh, I gave a lecture there. So my question to you is, what, if, what, what impact does anti-Semitism have uh, for Hezbollah? It's a tool to gain support. It's a tool to intimidate. Why do they make a conscious effort of using not just anti-Israel rhetoric, not just anti-Zionist rhetoric, as you say, but really vicious anti-Semitism which portrays Jews as descendants of apes and pigs, which incites, literally, and I'm choosing my words carefully as a scholar, incites to genocide. They use this for what purpose? And a secondary question would be, why is there relative silence in the human rights community, in the, in, in the milieu of scholars, of, acad of the academic committee, uh, community, when it comes to this sort of vicious anti-Semitism, which is reminiscent of another generation. Why the silence in the West, and why does Hezbollah use it as a tool? There are two reasons why they use it as a tool. One is, without meaning to be simplistic or pithy, is because it works. Right? It does create support, it does galvanize people, it does motivate people. And it's not just that the Jews are nasty things, but the Jews are nasty things who are trying to compete with us. That's why one of the things that's particularly pernicious is the, the material that tries to portray Judaism as being in an eternal existential conflict with Islam. Um, if, therefore, if you're a good Muslim, you have to be against the Jews. Or uh, somehow, uh, in, in inherent conflict, uh, there can be no, no resolution, political resolution in the region, uh, etc. Uh, there's an irony, of course, that groups like this, on the one hand, will point to the Palestinian cause, and on the other hand, will be very anti-two-state solution Efforts because that's not they don't want a two-state solution they want a very one-state solution so it, le it legitimizes activity it demonizes the other but more than that it creates a, 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 a culture of right and wrong right um, where there's 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 obligation it's not just that that you can but you must there is right and there is wrong and it it, it motivates people to do at various levels, to do big things, to do small things, um, and it's very, very effective. The reason it doesn't get as much attention is because this is happening, as some of the questions indicate, it's happening in the context of a conflict, right? And there are two sides in a conflict. So one thing that will happen, whether it's violence or, or, or racism, is you'll get these um, uh, efforts to um, to equate these equivalencies. So it's kind of a moral equivalency. Um, like I said, you're going to have to find someone else if you're going to say, well, I know and there was an Israeli official and he said this nasty thing. I'm sure, I know, I know of cases. You've got to find someone else to defend that. I'm as against that as I'm as against anything else. But the fact is that you don't see this in Israeli society the way you see it in Hezbollah society. And let's be very clear, I'm not talking about Lebanese society. It's not all parts of Lebanese society. And also, no, it's not only Hezbollah. There are the far extreme radicals in the Sunni element who despise Israel and don't like Jews just as much. 
that's another, it's another lecture, but just to be, uh, and so because this is seen as occurring within a political context, for some, well, it's not the same. But my point in, in having and agreeing to do this speech, even though this is not an issue I usually cover, is that it's, it's not okay. And it is the same. And whether it's anti-Jewish racism or anti-Sunni racism or anti-Shia racism, it, whatever it is, black, white, religious, sexual orientation, it, it is racism. And it's not okay. Thank you. So, Professor Krantz, and then... Thank you for a very wide-ranging talk. Very interesting. But something escapes me here. Uh, if we're talking about um, the role of anti-Semitism in Hezbollah, the relation of Hezbollah to anti-Semitism, almost all of the examples you've put up on the board and stuff you have described uh, could be taken out of other contexts, non-Shiite contexts, Sunni stuff. If you think of Palestinian Media Watch, number one. So what's the specificity of Hezbollah in all of this? Number two, uh, much of what you, you put up uh, could come right out of any handbook of, of Nazi anti-Semitism. And therefore, that raises another issue. What is the Islamic specificity of, of this kind of anti-Semitism? To what extent uh, has it been influenced since the 30s or earlier by European categories as uh, Lewis has argued in some of his work. So, I mean, I know it's a major issue. What are the motivating underlying causes of this? But to make it more specific, what is there specifically Shia about the anti-Semitism? Not the influence of money and weapons and, and politics, but is there some specific Shia tradition of anti-Semitism which is more bloody, more vicious, uh, and the normal Sunni type of income. This is a, a, an excellent question. I should address this from the get-go. No. But there isn't. There isn't. Even when the Grand Mufti, Sunni, decided to make allies with Nazi Germany, he had to, he had to uh, take on their anti-Semitism. He didn't bring anything unique to the table. There, the, 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 as I, uh, my friend from Lebanon, I think, I, one, one of you, I can't remember which one he said, maybe both of you, that uh, this is a fairly new phenomenon. And uh, it's, it's done because it is effective. Yes, it's amazing to me as someone who is not in the least bit a scholar of this type of an issue. <clears throat> I have friends who deal with anti-Semitism, I tell them all the time. I find this to be so ugly. Just give me classic terrorism. That I can handle. But the anti-Semitism stuff is just so nasty. I, 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 don't, I usually don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. It's only because of him that I agreed to do this. Um, and it is classically European. The blood libel? I mean, you can find examples in the history, but even then it was borrowing from. Um, so I would argue, from my limited knowledge, and I, I could be wrong on this, but from what I know, there is nothing particularly Shia about this. There's nothing particularly Arab about this. There's nothing particularly Islamic about this. Right? You, you, you've had instances, you've had history develop, and there have been tensions. And the bigger question is, why has this taken such root? And it's not only on the far, far, far extreme. Why has it been able to pitter down into elements, elements of, of the mainstream? You could ask that question about other things, not just anti-Semitism. Right? Um, 
Egyptians are highly educated, but there are there is almost no society on planet Earth that is more willing to believe every conspiracy out there than the Egyptians. I, I don't know why that is. I'm not an expert, and I can't tell you. But it's amazing. Mainstream television. And it doesn't make a difference who's in power. When Mubarak was in power, when Sisi was in power, when the Muslim Brotherhood was in power. I, I can't explain. This is something larger about, I think, the development of, uh, of the Arab world and, and the pace of development um, that is beyond my expertise. Um, yes, it's just actually referring to earlier what you said um, about the uh, some ultra-orthodox uh, people from the community um, that some some of them joined yeah. in Iran. Anti-Zionist, not just ultra, not all ultra-orthodox. I know, I know. Zionist. Exactly what I want to like specify to that that these this is a very small group of a group called Mutuad Karta, yeah. which is basically based. It's, a, it's actually a very small sect, which the Dacharedit, which is the high ultra-orthodox court in Israel, has made a ban against them. So they actually have been rejected by the... Let me be clear. Let me be clear. Yes. Okay. Um, and they are not... They are anti-Zionist. They're not trying to be, per se, anti-Semitic. I don't have a whole lot of fondness for them. Oh, no, but no, the no, point no, of no. my raising them is was not about them. The point was, not even that they were included in this conference, but what Hezbollah did and said around and with this conference... Because they felt, aha, you see, I bring in these completely far extreme, you know, people, and that shows that we are not about Jews or Judaism. Well, these are the only Jews that they can tolerate. Yes, I was delighted how your presentation culminated in the Shia, uh, Sunni schism or or manifold, and I'm going to want to ask two questions that are going to address this whole idea. That first of all, how does this uh, xenophobic propaganda, well, how effective is it in permeating into the population? I'm going to ask through two mechanisms, through one through funding, and the other one the Sunni uh, Shia. Funding? Funding, yes, funding. I think you're one of your specialties. The other one through Sunni uh, Shia flashpoints, and I expect you to cleverly weave the two together. But first of all, you speak at length about, uh, about how. Uh, drug trafficking is very fundamental in uh, generating a lot of uh, funding for for Hezbollah, especially, uh, I suppose, in, in Latin America and South America. You make references to uh, the, the Highway 10 and uh, and moving moving drugs, laundering money in associated with FARC. I was wondering whether there's any evidence that Hezbollah also uh, either has, uh, intends to, or or will in the future. Uh, take advantage of the opium trade in Afghanistan uh, in order to possibly, I, I know there's the Sunni Shia rift here as well, but whether that's a possibility uh, or whether that's already been Trump. The second question has to do with, now you have two countries, it, Lebanon is only one of the real battlegrounds in this Sunni Shia conflict. We have now a Saudi Arabia which is in trouble, we have, to, we have to look. In 2016, if you, if you analyze the data, they're gonna start running budget deficits there. We have Iran as a weak player, uh, Saudi Arabia also becoming a weak player, partially because of the Saudiization program, partially because of the global price of oil, and they're going down. Uh, in this past year, they gave three 
bill, uh, three, sorry, um, the three billion dollars. It's what's, about. What's, what's the question? Yeah, the, the question has to do. So we have Lebanon and we have Yemen as, as these potential flashpoints. The question is, in this hearkening situation where you have money going to Hezbollah, money from the Saudis going into a supposedly the Lebanese military, but possibly also into paramilitary forces, will this conflict do anything to either suppress uh, the, the propaganda machine or the effectiveness of anti-Semitic rhetoric, or will it, or will it actually spur it further? And the same thing, the same question is the truth uh, with regard to Yemen, Houthi uh, rebels, and their. I'm going to leave the, 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 the Yemenis out of this for now, because it's a much smaller conflict in scope and in number. The common ground here is that the foreign fighter phenomenon. Most people talk about foreign fighter phenomenon in Syria, and they're talking about foreign fighters going to fight with the radical Sunni groups, Jabhat al-Nusra, Daesh, uh, ISIS, etc. And that's a huge problem. We have people from Canada, from America, from Europe. It's a very big problem. We're worried because these are the type of guys who might want to come back and do something, God forbid. So we're very concerned about that. What people haven't paid enough attention to, and I testified before the U.S. Senate on this last week, is that you have, you have even more Shia foreign fighters in Syria than you do Sunnis. Now, it doesn't seem that way because the vast majority of them are from Lebanon and don't really consider themselves foreign because they don't really respect that border, or Iraq. You'll read in the book, uh, Hezbollah set up an entire unit, Unit 3800, to train up Iraqi Shia militants during the coalition war there. This is a relationship that's been going on. It long predates even that. Um, but because of this foreign fighter phenomenon, you do have smaller numbers, but you do have uh, Houthi rebels from Yemen, Shia. You do have uh, a, a small number of Afghan Hazara. You have even, I didn't even know there were Shia in Chechnya, but apparently there are some, a few uh, uh, Chechen Shia, uh, Pakistani, small numbers. But this is creating a phenomenon that is solidifying these lines of us and them. Forget Jews for a minute, Shia and Sunni. I would love to be wrong. Please, God, may I be wrong. But I fear that this is going to be a decade-long conflict, not just in Lebanon and Syria. My greatest fears are for Lebanon. My great fears for Iraq, too. But the region overall and the sectarianism we're seeing, you're going to see next in places, you mentioned Yemen, of course, but Bahrain, other, it's, this is going to be a huge, messy, messy, messy problem. And the other, the, 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 demonization of the other. Racism in this case on mostly religious but there'll be some um, uh, ethnic uh, parts too is going to be horrible. I love when people ask a question they demonstrate that they've read other things that I've written because I didn't mention Highway 10 today but you know about it so that's good. The simple answer to your question is no. There's almost no chance as Bullock gets involved in the Afghan opium trade. They're not in Afghanistan. Theoretically one of these guys from Afghanistan the Hazar is there. You know, but they don't need it. They, there's there's uh, marijuana issues uh, in the backup, and there are issues in terms of Highway 10, which is the 10th parallel running between South America and Western Africa, of Hezbollah not producing but moving uh, drugs uh, from South America to Africa and then helping to launder those funds, and there's many, many cases, and they get into detail in the book. Uh, you mentioned that Hezbollah was a very multifaceted organization, such that uh, 
they had a, they have a military wing as well as a civilian uh, social welfare uh, uh, type of uh, program. Um, would you say that xenophobic and this uh, anti-Semitism has permeated uh, the civilian wing as much as the military wing, or would you say it's not the case? So, most of the examples I gave you were not the military wing. So I gave an example of a charity. I gave an example of a youth group. I gave an example of multimedia. Um, I think it's probably accurate to assume that in the harder, harder core militant structure, the feelings run even deeper. Um, but we see this on the civilian side as well. I also explained that you cannot say method as certainly someone who's, I'm not an anti-Semitism scholar. I'll leave this to them. But methodologically, whatever your area of books, you, we cannot say that every single member, operative, leader feels this in the exact same way. Therefore, that's why I think it's really interesting to break it down, as I did here and I do in the paper that I'm providing on this, kind of Hezbollah institutional, Hezbollah uh, operatives, members examples, and, and followers. Right? So again, you know, the videos of the stuff in, in Montreal and Toronto, I, we, we cannot say that that is Hezbollah. At a certain level, you can't put that at Hezbollah's uh, front step, except that it's exactly in line with the very message they put forward, and someone therefore concludes that waving this Hezbollah flag and saying you're doing these things, those go in hand, hand in hand. So the answer is, I don't think it's fair to say that every Hezbollah politician, for example, is some tremendous anti-Semite. I think that, like anything else, there's different per people are have different, you know, it permeates different ways. That is part of Hezbollah's lexicon, absolutely. You're likely going to get a Hezbollah parliamentarian to get up and and and, and contradict it, probably not, but because they're operating this milieu. But this is not just something that is part of the military. And the, the, some of the worst things that you've heard. Um, are, are from clearly as uh, just as well politicians. So we have time for one more question. We're a bit late, so okay, the final question. You mentioned that Hezbollah is anti Semitic. Arabs are semi too, right? Correct? Right? So, how about the Israelis' extreme right wing parties, such as Mayir uh, Kahana's uh, the Kush Imunim. No, 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 they're not my They're representatives. No, they're I happen to, 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 to belong to the Christian minority in Lebanon. The Muslims traditionally welcomed the Jews in Turkey, in Iran, during the Inquisition. You already, you already, heard, you already heard me say that. We are completely yeah, yeah, I'm not. That's that's a, so, your question I have. Yes, yes, uh, so, absolutely. But so, why, why isn't in the Israelis? The, the U.S. State Department, the U.S. Homeland Securities, uh, put cash, put Bushimunim, put the others as terrorist organization. Yeah. I, I've yet want to see somebody of Jewish extraction talking about these extreme. So, God forbid, Igor Lieberman was was foreign minister of the state of Israel. He was a bouncer, and he lives in a settlement. So, okay. I, I, I. I we're going to leave settlements out of it. I don't, I don't think if you live in a settlement, you are being anti-Semitic. There's a dispute over this territory, and I hope it's resolved, but just because someone lives somewhere doesn't make them anti-Arab. But on Kach, and Gush Emonim also, Gush Emonim, 
they believe in uh, uh, that, that, that having the West Bank, which is full of religiously significant places for Jews and others, was part of the redemption. That's not necessarily anti-Arab. Kach, Kahanachai, you make a very good point. Kach and Kahanachai are not just uh, racist. And because Arabs are Semites, you could, you could very much call them anti-Semitic in that sense. The vernacular of anti-Semitic has become anti-Jewish, but you'd be right there. Um, they were designated as terrorist groups. Israel designated them as terrorist groups before the United States did. Israel kicked, kicked Mayor Kahana out of the Knesset. Um, Israel, the Israel uh, Shin Bet, their version of the FBI or the RCMP, uh, cracked down on these guys very, very hard. I would love to see the Lebanese government do the same to Hezbollah. There are some, there are some, please, there are some in Lebanon and the ISF and others who very much want to, and they can't because Hezbollah is just this strong. But your point is very well taken. This is not, to, look, I wasn't asked to give a lecture on all the nastiness on all sides of this conflict. This gets back to the answer to your question. Why did people not, because people always want, and it's not unreasonable to say, well, what about the other side? There is stuff on the other side. I would argue that there's no moral equivalency. Kach within Israel is this big. It's tiny. And the entire Israeli population, let alone government, after uh, Kahana's disciple, Baruch Goldstein, massacred worshippers in Hebron who were kneeling in prayer at the Ibrahimi Mosque in the Cave of the Patriarchs, the entire country condemned them. And so there's no moral equivalence. There's no doubt about it that Israel is more democratic than any Arab country, granted. No, but Rafael Etan is member, your boss, your ex-boss, the, the architect of the invasion of Lebanon, is a member of the Knesset with another member. And you know what Rafael Etan said? He wanted to kick the Arab Israelis out of the 1948. This is a political platform. All right, so I'm, I'm going to respond to one point as a scholar of anti-Semitism. So... This, equ this equation that some people argue that uh, how can Arabs be anti-Semitic because we're all Semitic people is a fallacy. Anti-Semitism as a notion, as, an, as a concept, was created in 1872 by Wilhelm Marr, a German person who hated Jews. And the term, as problematic and filled with contradictions as it is, refers to the hatred of Jewish people. So the argument that we're all Semites you know, there's no, so, there's no such thing as race as a social construction. We've got to kind of gone past the notions of race. Uh, this form of hatred, and there's other forms of hatred, is directed to Jewish people. And the European Christian notions of anti-Semitism, as we see here in the last uh, two hours, is being infused into the Islamic world. Uh, certainly Hezbollah, the Iranian regime, and other Islamists, not Islam and not Muslims, but Islamists, are using uh, forms of hatred in the most pernicious way, and this is what we're trying to study. So there, there are there are distinctions that need to be made. Uh, so on Thank that you. on that note, uh, it's important. Um, Thank you all for coming.